Thank you, Derek. So today we are splitting our focus passage into two parts. It's undoubtedly a tricky passage, this one, but ultimately it's an overwhelmingly reassuring one. So I want you to think of all, think about where you've heard these words before. Yes, you've probably heard these words used at a funeral service or a service of thanksgiving that you have attended. These words are a popular choice for those leading a service to use at the time of the death of someone. These words contain a promise, a comforting promise to us in the face of death, the death of a loved one. They confirm that heaven is a place large enough for us and for all the people we love. And that is an overwhelmingly reassuring message to hear. But we need to remember that when we hear these words at a funeral service or a Thanksgiving service, generally speaking, there's no explanation given to the words. The words stand alone. But when we use this passage as a text on a Sunday morning, of course we have to delve in deeper into their meaning to get the big picture of what the words are directing us towards. But we always need to be careful when we do that. We don't want to somehow dissect the words and pull them apart so much as to dent our confidence in that very simple image we have that there is a heaven, a place of peace, a place with God that awaits us and those we love after earthly life is over. A teacher in a divinity faculty talks about this text and calls the regular sermons heard on this text as the Cots in Heaven sermon. She says it goes something like this. When we die, our souls are immediately whisked to heaven to a mansion of some sort where our personal cot is waiting and where we finally get to encounter God intimately after spending a lifetime on earth seeing through a glass darkly, as the Apostle Paul puts it. Now, that puts it in very stark terms. But I think we see the point. Our image of heaven, what heaven is, where heaven is, what it will feel like, is something that is formulated in the words that we read in Scripture, but also, I think, formulated for each one of us by our imaginations. And that's healthy, and that's natural. It's God that gives us imagination for many different reasons. He gives us imagination for allowing us to try and picture what life with God is like. And for each one of us, if we were to do a a poll this morning, or if we were to do a, a discussion, our image of what heaven is might vary from one person to the next. 
and that's all right. That's healthy, and that's natural. Whatever makes us feel confident and assured about God's love for us and our loved ones, then that's what God wants for us, to take out of that belief of what heaven is and what it's going to be like. But when we delve in deeper into the words of this text, we come in particular to the tricky verse, verse 6. Jesus said to him, and we read that it's to Thomas, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I, I dare say that you're all familiar with these words. We don't need them written down. We can recite them. And we've heard them often at a funeral service. But unfortunately, this verse has often been used as a trump card, or worse, as a threat to tell people that they better get with it, they better get with the program, accept Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Saviour, in order to be guaranteed the place in heaven. And I'll admit that every time that I use this text at a funeral, and I'm particularly thinking this morning about what we might call parish funerals. So the funerals of people that I don't know very well, that maybe I, I don't know have a, a connection with this church or any church. Um, but we often use this reading still because it gives reassurance uh, and comfort. But when I come to this verse, I often greet it with a, a pang. I think that's a good way for me to kind of describe how I feel because I, I'm, I'm hearing me saying the words... And I'm wondering, how are the words going to be received? Because what we're kind of saying in these words could lead people to assume that I, as a minister, am saying that unless your loved one has accepted Jesus as Saviour and Lord, then what I'm saying doesn't apply to them. If we're saying the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So if you've not gone through Jesus, there is no ticket to heaven. Yet these words are there to give comfort and solace and assurance. And so you can see why I, I sometimes cringe inside a little, because I worry. I worry what the listener is going to take out of my words. As ministers, we are under pressure at times. We need to preach a message that encourages people to connect with Christ. Or, why am I here? What's the point if I'm not saying to people, come to Christ? There are, there are, there are good things to discover, to, to get to know, to be part of in coming to Christ and being part of the church. I've got to say, that's the gospel. The gospel is bringing people to Christ but at the same time, as a minister of the gospel, I hear the gospel saying that the mansion house, that God's love is not limited to a few, but that God has space in his heart for everybody, for all, that all have that chance for life with God, experiencing his love. 
So whether I'm in conversation with people one-to-one or in groups leading worship or in a, a funeral service or Thanksgiving service, I'm very conscious of the fact that, that my, my role is to give people hope, to, to give and provide comfort to people that God's love is there for them. So the dilemma of this text for me is only solved when I go into it at a slightly deeper level. These texts that we've been looking at last week and this week and next week are part of a long conversation that Jesus is having with his friends prior to leaving them. And here he is answering specifically a question raised by Thomas. Now, you know Thomas. Thomas is the guy who, he's not wanting to beat about the book. Thomas is wanting the black and white answer. He's wanting it to be put in clear terms so that he can have the confidence to believe in something. He takes Jesus literally. He wants direction. He wants a roadmap to this place that Jesus is talking about. Jesus responds by saying that he himself is the way. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But what we need to get away from is that sense that these words of Jesus are extended as a challenge or as an admonishment, a judgment. They are pointing towards something, but it's not something that is limiting. The statement by Jesus is a promise. It is a word of comfort to his disciples. Jesus himself is saying, look, I'm all you need. There's no need to panic. There's no need to search desperately for a a map, a secret map. It's not as difficult as that. If you know me, he says, you will know my father. The conditional phrase in Greek is a condition of fact, meaning that the condition is understood to be true. If you know me, and then he says, and you do, that's the way the Greek is phrased, if you know me, and you do, you will know my father. So there can be no misunderstanding, Jesus adds. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. These are words of comfort, not condition, not testing. These are words of assurance for the disciples. And this is the whole point of Jesus' mission, to make known the Father, to reveal who God is. Jesus, who has come from the bosom of the Father, and who is now returning there, is the fullest revelation of the person and character of God. If we want to know what God is like and who God is, we look no further than Jesus. All the words that Jesus has spoken, all the works that he has done, come from God and show us who God is. The passage has everything to do with life here, and now. Because Jesus entrusts his mission to his disciples. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. In fact, 
will do greater works than these because I'm now going to the Father. This is Jesus affirming that the establishment of the kingdom of God is for the here and now, in this place, in this time. And that brings us, friends, back to love. Back to love once again. To Thomas, Jesus is saying, Look, Thomas, you already know me. I am the way to God. In me is the truth of God. In me, my death and my resurrection is life and hope for the world. Find God in loving the world. Find God as you build up God's kingdom of love in the world. Find God in your faithfulness and in, by, and through your loving actions. In these words of Jesus then, I think we find an assurance of life with God. It's a promise of life with God after we and our loved ones die. It's also life with God here and now. And we find him in all that we learn about Jesus in the Bible and in all that the Holy Spirit makes known about Jesus and about God directly to us. And as we are faithful to God, to Jesus, as we love others, we find that we are on that way, that way to knowing God, to being one with him. We'll consider this a little further after we sing our next hymn, which is hymn 694, Brother, Sister, Let Me Serve You. In these words, we recognise love as central to our thinking about these matters this morning. Jesus continued his farewell discourse in these verses. He promises his followers the gift of the Holy Spirit, as he calls it, the Advocate. In the whole farewell discourse, John provides an overwhelming, repetitive, circular emphasis on love. In the chapter just before this one, Jesus is quoted, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. He reiterates this in the chapter just after the one that we're looking at this morning when he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. One of the ways that John differs from the other gospels is where the Holy Spirit seems in these Gospels very active in Jesus' ministry. John's emphasis, however, is on the fact that the Holy Spirit becomes active from this point. As Jesus prepares to depart, God gives the Holy Spirit as a gift to the world. 
to almost take over after Jesus has gone. Upon Jesus' departure then, the disciples are given the Spirit. They are moved from apprentices to full, mature revealers of God's love. And it doesn't just happen to them, it happens to his followers, and it happens to all the followers of God, the followers of Jesus from that moment on. John is saying the followers of Jesus are at no disadvantage to those who lived at a time when Jesus walked the earth, because those who are followers now and in the future have the Holy Spirit to energize and direct them. Ultimately, intimacy with God and Christ is available, even although Jesus is not walking the earth with his human feet. And isn't that wonderful for us to know that God does not, has not, will not ever hold back anything? Abundant life, the truth, the way, is available into all eternity. It becomes possible for us to love others as Jesus did, to love in the way of Jesus because we have been given the Holy Spirit that we, the followers of Jesus today, might flourish in this work, in this role, in his creation. So don't ever be in doubt about the strength and help that is available to us as we seek to be followers today in our societies and world. The Holy Spirit will guide us in knowledge it will nudge us in what we need to know, and it will keep changing and refreshing things appropriate to the challenges of today's world. And there is a lovely finale to this whole passage. It comes in the assurance that God's peace, and that's a big world, that's not a word to be skipped over. It's a theme that is genuine and real and important, that God's peace, is extended towards us and to all whom we love. And that peace is given to us so that we can manage our fears, the fears we have about our own capabilities, the fears that we have when we look at the big challenges that await us in the world, the fears that we have when we lose people that we love. God's peace is extended to us, for it tells us that God's heart is so big that he has a place in it for everyone and for all. And as we finish our thinking today, I think we say, thank goodness for that. Thank goodness for the knowledge of God's love for us and for the people we love. Thank goodness for God extending his peace to us. And it's a peace that matters a lot. Amen.